everyone, and welcome to the More Deadly Podcast, where we review horror movies directed exclusively by women that prove that the female of the species is more deadly than the male, especially this episode, because when we get into the extended episode, we're going to do a men's version versus female version. (laughs) (laughs) And I feel like we're going to, I don't know for sure, but I'm predicting consensus on which one we prefer. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) we'll get there we'll get there so i'm your host rachel and joining me instead of my usual bestie ariel who is taking a much much needed and much much deserved vacation i have brought two amazing co-hosts i'm so delighted to be introducing two more deadly for the first time ever my homegirl matilda hello who's also my co-host on the zombie girls podcast and my homeboy larry who is also my co-host on the Untitled Nick Cage show. Hey, everybody. <laughs> as well as the excellent Here's Johnny podcast, which occasionally oh, I haunt. <laughs> You're coming back soon for Aliens. Oh my god, I cannot wait. I'm so excited. Although I'm also very afraid you're going to hate it. Because <laughs> that's good. I mean, you're allowed to not like things that I like, but that one's going to make me sad. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay, before we get into this, Larry, since this you, this is your first time on this pod, why don't you tell our listeners a little bit about your other projects? Yeah, sure. So like Rachel said, I host the Here's Johnny podcast. I host that with my good friend, Justin. We've gone on for about three years now, and the basic premise is we review video games and movies that fall within a certain subgenre of horror. Right now, we're looking at alien horror, which is why we're reviewing aliens later on this this year. We also have interviews and stuff. We try to get on really interesting people, come and talk about different aspects of horror that maybe two guys don't really think about. Like we've had on Ashley Blackwell to talk about race representation and horror um that was a really really fun interview we did and it's actually how we met rachel we brought her on to help us review suspiria and she thought we were uh setting her up but (laughs) cross my mind i mean exhibit a the characters in this movie you just never know you just never know (laughs) every monday we have a new episode actually this week tomorrow night we're going to be reviewing well the past for everybody listening the thing from another world justin did not know that this was the basis for john carpenter's the thing so he was surprised as he watched it i was trying to remember if you guys are doing the john carpenter version too we are okay good okay good (laughs) i I love john carpenter and i'm I'm very excited to watch that one because that's a first watch for you right correct wild that is so awesome you're gonna have such a great time all right matilda i'm gonna put you on the spot you want to plug our podcast? <laughs> <laughs> sure. I just want to put a plug in for the OG Zombie Girls podcast, which is potentially sometimes a little chaotic to listen to because there are a lot of us. But um, I think is <laughs> I think is really fun, and I feel like um, and we rotate who picks the movies of the month, and I feel like we have a really good mix of different tastes and different. So you might get like a fun week, and then you might get a totally up your butt art horror week for me and then you might get (laughs) just a really fun you know tammy and the t-rex type thing from ariel or something golden classic from ariel and some really fun slashers or like always the unexpected from sarah so i feel like yes it's how we end up watching trauma movies (laughs) (laughs) and puppet sex and lots of puppet sex (laughs) i'm an adored yeah yeah Mm -hmm. 
<laughs> I'm less, it's less my, my wheelhouse, but I, I love Sarah so much. That's how much I love Sarah. I will watch puppet sex. That's every right. Five weeks or every five months. <laughs> That's right. And it's a, it's a fun time. So you should, you should come in. It's all also the ground zero of where we get aerials for people for fans of more deadly it's where we get the more extended sometimes information about ariel's nudist neighborhood yes so we focus primarily on this podcast about whatever the weird secret admirer leaving thing yes. for her is but there is a whole world of elderly neighbors donald duck in it on a regular basis yes that you can experience and rolling around in their pt cruisers that yes you can experience on the zombie girls i look forward to the duplass brothers cult documentary about whatever is going on in their neighborhood 100 <laughs> about the garage full of naked dudes hanging out and watching sports center or whatever now i'm just imagining them all wearing the peach fuzz mask yeah Anyway, so I haven't even said what we're going to be reviewing today. We are going to be talking about American Psycho, which I have repeatedly tried to write American Horror Story, <laughs> and I'm it's proud only. of myself. It's, it's, it's only. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Directed by Mary Heron. Uh, this is a classic. Anytime you see a list of best horror movies directed by women, this is guaranteed to be on here there's mm -hmm. four that are on every single one in this every single list and this is definitely one of them so it's gonna be fun to kind of get into a classic and decide you know does this deserve its place on the list of greatest horror movies directed by women or has that list changed substantially since 2000 when this came out i don't know we'll get into all that stuff but before we do that let's do a quick spoiler warning normally ariel does this so i'm going but she's not here so here we go basically <laughs> we're gonna start off with a non-spoiler review we're going to say out of plot points general feelings about the movie and then we're going to tell you what the movie's about and then we're going to it's all everything's up for grabs we're going to spoil the whole thing so we'll spoil it eventually but if you just kind of want to get a general vibe of whether or not you like the movie Read the listen yeah. oh, no oh, no <laughs> <laughs> so now you know what you're in for so matilda can you do me a favor and tell me a little bit about Mary Heron? Absolutely. So Mary Heron is a Canadian screenwriter and director who is also known for I Shot Andy Warhol, the movie about Valerie Solanas, The Notorious Betty Page, and she directed the 2017 Netflix adaptation of Margaret Atwood's Alias Grace. Oh, Devin liked that. Yeah, which I think we good. talked about on the, the OG Zombie Girls I tried podcast. to watch it with her, but the accents were just too thick for me. Which is interesting because you, you host a podcast with a Canadian. Yeah, well, like, I, 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 I can't even watch like, Peaky Blinders. Peaky Blinders, even though I love Cillian Murphy, I can't even watch that because it's too thick. I can't focus on what they're saying. So I don't know. I'm weird. So I let me just back up for a second and say, so Mary Heron wrote this script with Guinevere Turner. But this, what we're going to be talking about today, critics sometimes call this film a book written by a misogynist turned into a movie directed by a feminist. And this is honestly a pretty fair assessment and one that we'll get into more in the bonus episode. Yes. But you may know Mary Heron, like I said, from I Shine Andy Warhol and the notorious Betty Page, which she also co-wrote with Guinevere Turner. She grew up in a family that was deeply embedded in the worlds of theater and film. She's the daughter of Gloria Fisher and Don Heron, a Canadian actor, comedian, author, and director. 
Her parents divorced when she was six years old, and she spent her early life going back and forth between Toronto and L.A. Hollywood. Her first stepmother, Virginia Leith, was discovered by Stanley Kubrick and acted in his first film, Fear and Desire. And her brief acting career partially inspired Heron's interest in making the notorious Betty Page. She moved to England at 13 and studied there through her adolescence and through college. She studied at St. Anne's at Oxford College. And at one point she dated Tony Blair, which is oh, wild whoa. to me, who became whoa. prime minister. Hmm. I feel like the seeds of American uh, psycho <laughs> are being planted. Then she moves back to New York in early adulthood in the late 70s, early 80s, and she begins writing as a music journalist for Punk Magazine. She was the first journalist to interview the Sex Pistols for a U.S. publication. Rad. And she came of age in the early punk scene in the U.S. And part of this, when I was reading about her, is she said, you know, there was some part of me in the back of my mind that thought that I kind of wanted to write a screenplay, but I had never seen anything directed by women before. It just wasn't a thing. I grew up around Hollywood. Women directors Yikes. just weren't a thing. So Yikes. what was available to me was music journalism. Cool. So yeah, so she's hanging out in the early punk well, scene. No, I, mean, I, 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 like, I like punk music and I've always, well, no, I, I've always just seen punk music as very inclusive. So uh -huh. I, I think mm -hmm. it's cool that if, even though Hollywood was all closed off, the music scene was like, yeah, we, we don't care. Come on in. That's all. That's what I'm about. Yeah. Sorry. I know. Yeah. It's funny. <laughs> And her being in the punk scene was interesting to me in the context of this because of the way punk plays with shock and plays with taboos as a way to yep. challenge capitalism mm -hmm. and traditionalism and to kind of shake up the, to punch up, basically. Yes. Mm -hmm. And the class analysis. So I think there's something kind of interesting about that. Even though she talked about, as a punk journalist, there was all this stuff about punks in their natural environment. And she's like, really? They're just all sitting around eating beans and <laughs> talking about their t favorite TV shows? Like, it was very everyday. Mm -hmm. Uh-huh. So it's also funny that she is interested in something that looks shocking from the outside, but it's actually very boring. Mm -hmm. <laughs> she later wrote critical pieces on the theater and the arts for i mean her writing career as a journalist in this era and especially as a woman journalist in this era was pretty solid london observer guardian new statesman before going to work in film she got her foot in the door when she began to work on documentaries for the bbc in the late 80s during the early 90s, she begins working on a PBS show called Edge, which was a documentary program about pop culture. And it was during this time that she became very interested in Valerie Solanas, the woman who had tried to kill Andy Warhol and was also famous as someone who wrote the Scum Manifesto, which was the Society for Cutting Up Men. So I wondered, obviously, that was an American Horror Story, and I never knew if that was actually real or not, or if that was made up for the show. So that actually happened. The That's scum real. is real. The scum thing is real. Oh, cool. Okay. She had arrived in on the New York punk scene when the Andy Warhol, like the factory, there were still people. Mm -hmm. Lou Reed was still around and playing in places and the hand of Andy Warhol could really be felt. And mm. she was like, what about the least famous character? She was interested in the least famous character in that story, right? Who she saw as Valerie Solanas and she was walking through new york and found an old copy of the scum manifesto in an old bookstore and got on the subway and was reading it and she was like this is brilliant and crazy and i love it and i want to know so much more about her awesome yeah and she was really excited to have lily taylor play her i mean 
yeah, we'll get into like she really was attached to Christian Bale and she was attached to yeah. Christian Bale in in American Psycho for some of the same reasons she was attached to Lily Taylor. Mm-hmm. And I shot Andy Warhol because she's like, you cannot find the bottom of them. They're just unsettling Yep. Mm-hmm. in some ways. Anyway, she found that she related to this story and Solanus and she was concerned that she was going to be forgotten or cast as only a lunatic. And when she really wanted to explore her motives and help audiences connect with her frustration as a thwarted artist, basically, was the place that she connected with her. Mm, Interesting. Yeah. So Heron co-wrote the screenplays for American Psycho and the Notorious Betty Page with Guinevere Turner, who plays Elizabeth in this movie. She says, I asked Guinevere Turner to come on. She had done the first big successful lesbian film, so we knew that no one could accuse, could lecture us about feminism. <laughs> oh my God. Have you seen Go Fish? No. I mean, not in years. <laughs> that gave us a lot of strength. We didn't have to apologize or add some bullshit moral lesson to it. We felt we could trust our instincts and do what we thought was interesting. Yeah. So Guinevere's turn in this movie is especially ironic because there's this famous line where she's like, I'm not a lesbian. Like, why would you, Patrick? And he's like, well, I, you know, I thought maybe because you went to Sarah Lawrence. So she <laughs> is a lesbian. She did go to Sarah Lawrence in real life. <laughs> I know. When she said that, I was like, I know. I know. I, I interviewed I know her Sarah primarily. <laughs> yeah. Oh, did you? Yeah. I can see you going to Sarah Lawrence. Yeah. yeah. yeah that makes sense. You no, know what? I didn't know that, but that's, that's actually makes sense. Seeing a little less unsettling and a little more tongue-in-cheek yeah mm-hmm. yeah totally i mean this this movie is extremely tongue-in-cheek so yes i appreciate that yes and i <laughs> will talk about this i don't know that it would have been without these this director but oh uh, uh, no no especially i don't want to steal any thunder from larry yeah. in the production history but there's one director in particular that i was i yeah. would have torn my hair out oh, yeah no that would have been great that would have been a great yeah. movie Okay. Goodbye. Three yeah. and a half hours long. How do I how do I kick someone out of this call? <laughs> so Guinevere Turner, like I said, her breakout movie was Go Fish, which is best known as the only lesbian content you could rent in a blockbuster during the nineties. Yep. Along yep. with a very old battered copy of Desert Hearts. Those were your two choices. <laughs> I feel like maybe you could get your hands on the, advin- the incredible adventure of two girls in love, but that's like it. <laughs> I feel like my Blockbuster's indie section in the 90s and early 2000s or Hollywood video section was Go Fish, Desert Hearts, and eight copies of American Pimp. Is it Thelma and Louise? Uh, A lesbian movie? No. No. Oh, I've never seen it. I just know that. I mean, it is beloved of lesbians because at that time, so few stories about two women Mm -hmm. that are, you know. I I just know the ending, so I always just assumed. I I did not know. Okay. No. No, I mean, that's the movie that made Brad Pitt famous. Mm-hmm. I did know he was in it. I did know he was in it. Because he's the hot young thing that Gina Davis bones down with. Oh, yeah. well, there you go. Okay. Yep. Spoiler. Yeah, oh, whatever. <laughs> you had like 35 years. Get it together. <laughs> so after the release of Go Fish, which was a little black and white movie about that Guinevere Turner had made, because she felt like underrepresented in Hollywood, that there was no way that she and her queer friends talked to each other that was represented on film. So she Mm -hmm. makes this little black and white movie. And after the release of this film, she's at film festivals and she meets and bonds with another young breakout director who has also made a little movie, a little black and white movie with people talking to each other. And that's Kevin Smith. Amazing. Rachel, that's the guy who ruined Masters of the Universe, right? Oh my, get the fuck out of here. Uh, Listen, 
I'm not a huge fan of his movies, but I actually am like a huge fan of Kevin Smith. Yeah, the person. Yeah, Dogma is probably was a very formative movie for me growing up. So. Really? Mm-hmm. I haven't seen that since I think it came out. I probably should revisit it now. Guinevere the Turner Matt Damon is in of it. it. Oh, is she? Yep. Maybe that will cancel out the Matt Damon of it. Because, <laughs> ew. <laughs> and you also have Alanis Morissette as God. Yeah. I do love Alanis Morissette as God. So Kevin Smith, she bonds with Kevin Smith and their conversations, especially about her telling him about various things in her life and people hitting on her becomes the groundwork for chasing Amy. How cool. Is that right? I love yeah. that movie. Yeah. Oh my gosh. That is so interesting. I know. Because I feel like that's a movie and now I this that I have read. This is not me personally because I haven't seen it since it first came out. It has not aged well. But if it's actually from a I know real I'm place. afraid to watch it again. I mean, no, I love it. I've read the same out. thing. I know. So yeah. long. I remember being so taken aback by what was happening. But I watched mm-hmm. that after Dogma and Clerks. And I was a kid, too. Oh, I, interesting. I watched Dogma when I was in high school, like early high school. Oh, so that was the that first movie. Been That's interesting. A yeah, weird Dogma was the very cursor. first movie I got. And it was because my friend's older brother was super anti-church. You know, his family was super into it. And he handed us the, the VHS to watch. Interesting. I always enjoy, like, your straight male culture bubble <laughs> how you find your way to these things is always really interesting to me they're joe rogan of it all i feel yeah. like dogma is the joe rogan <laughs> it's joe rogan adjacent for sure. you know what that is not i feel like kevin smith is a gateway yeah for people in some ways yeah yeah he was so on much. joe rogan rachel if you ever want to check it out you know i do <laughs> rachel <laughs> I'll just slam that on right after the old Quentin Tarantino interview. (laughs) I'm going to find one one day that intrigues you enough to listen. Listen, I'll tell you what. If you told me this episode, you need to listen to it. I think it's a good representation of what's good about this or it's really interesting. Because I trust you, I would listen to it. So I was going to get into some of the story of Mary Heron kind of picking this up and trying to hold on to it. The saga of Heron and Turner getting to work on American Psycho is kind of legendary. There is this actually is a, an hour-long documentary about the production. Is there? Of this oh, that I, I have watch not that. watched, but yeah, it's it's floating around. And the studios made some very bad calls at various points in this process, yeah. which Larry will talk about more. But Heron and Turner had to wrestle this movie back from people who would have gone very different places with it. So... Heron recalls reading this book and kind of falling in love with how funny it was. She's like, mm. oh, this is satire. <laughs> yeah. And and she does say she gets to, she got to a certain point in the book and she had to put it down for a month before she could, could go back to it. She was like, OK, go back, go back. Yeah, I do see this. I will talk about this later. I, it took me a couple days post finishing the book and like reading non misogynist douchebags opinions of like like finding like female critics versions Uh of it to realize that it was satire because the book is aggressive yeah yeah and the book i should say it was dropped by simon and schuster right before its release (laughs) it was picked up by vintage at the last minute but still around the world it is you can't buy it unless you're 18 
Yep. It is shrink wrapped in various mm -hmm. parts of the world to prevent eight people under 18 from looking at it in the bookstore and corrupting themselves. It's a hardcore book. She had been fighting for Christian Bale to be in the title role to play Patrick Bateman. And Christian Bale, she saw something in him that she was like, he is the person for this. He understands this character. And Lionsgate was like, eh, he's not a very big star. We really need somebody big. And she was like, no, I swear, just hang with me. He's the person. We can get other big names in here, but I think he's really our guy. So she gets this call from one of the producers who says, are you sitting down? Leonardo DiCaprio wants to play the part and they want to pay him $20 million, but your budget will still be $6 million. And she says, that is the stupidest idea I've ever heard. God, I love her. He's coming <laughs> off Titanic, right? So oh he's not God. really ripe for it. And she's like, he is the young star who is the idol of a ton of 15-year-old girls. Yeah. And her quote was, you're just bringing down hell upon yourselves and you'll never be able to make the script the way it should be made because everyone will be terrified. Before Titanic, it was Romeo plus Juliet. Yes, exactly. Oh my, what a dumb, okay, yeah. But yeah. it sounds like it was his interest. I want that. I want I to understand that. that. He's taken on, I mean, I'm a, I'm a very big Leo fan, and he's taken on some really challenging roles, but oh my God, thank God that didn't happen. Oh, I mean, yeah. I'm sure he was probably like, I need to not be in Tiger Beat forever. Yeah. Yes. To, and this would definitely be a... It would have broke the mold. Did you, do you have, either of you have information about why he didn't end up doing it in here? Yeah. Yep. So the producer says to her, she's like, this is a terrible idea. I don't want, even want to hear about it. And the producer's like, you need to meet with him. And she's like, I don't want to meet with him. Fuck this. I love her. And she's like, now I understand that I had already been fired. I was to go to him and try to beg <laughs> to keep my job. Because DiCaprio not only said, pointed at something that was already in the works and said, I want that. He said, I have a short list of big name directors that I want on that. I want Kubrick and I, or I want Scorsese. Can you imagine Scorsese's version of this? Oh my God. I'm just trying to imagine Mary Harris. Hey, I'm Heron. a big Martin fan. A, we, we, will, we will have no... Yeah, I'm no... going to say things that upset you later. <laughs> <laughs> I do not think this would have been an enjoyable Martin Scorsese movie. No. For as much as I love all of his movies and just him as a person... He doesn't feel as critically about sociopaths. No. Or about Wall Street, potentially. Yeah, so... I... I... <laughs> Again, <laughs> even though we are talking about people who I like or their works that I like, very grateful. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, I would say not only are we grateful that they didn't gain control of this property, but mm -hmm. I am also grateful that they did, that she ends up getting with this movie because this is some bullshit. Yeah. Right. She's been working on this for some time and some little shit is just like, I want it and I want a bigger director than her. Yeah, and, and, and that's the thing I don't know about Hollywood. I've watched TV shows like Entourage, obviously, and you kind of get the vibe. I wonder if, do you think Leo even knew? Or do you think he told his agent and his agent went for it? And because he's Leo, they're like, okay, we'll do what we can. I don't think that Leo was at that point in a position to be encouraged to have human feelings. <laughs> How do I say that? Like, <laughs> is that... <laughs> The realness was kept. <laughs> <laughs> I, I just, I, I don't know. I don't know. I hear what you're saying because I think you're so protected in Hollywood at that point as yeah. if you are Leonardo DiCaprio at that moment. Mm -hmm. 
that I think you are encouraged to say things like, I want it, give it to me. Yeah. Right. And so, but I can only imagine that Mary Heron, who made her first movie at 43 mm -hmm. and is mm -hmm. now a little beyond that, to have to appeal to this guy to keep her job. Would See, that'd be, be tough. Stupid. That'd be tough. I wouldn't do oh. it. <laughs> I, I would. I'm retroactively angry for her right now. <laughs> so what she said about this is, I almost grew up at that moment because I had no idea what money and power can do. I was expendable. And that's a lesson I internalized. When there's money at stake, you mean nothing. Yep. Mm -hmm. This is all great primer for actually making them. I know. <laughs> I wonder why her gaze was unsympathetic. I know. <laughs> so she went to the press and told her side of the story because somebody, one of her friends, was like, "You need a, you need to a publicist." Because meanwhile, the studio was like, "Oh, she had walked away because she didn't want a big budget movie." Oh. And, see, and see, that's why I think. Uh, I, well, <laughs> and that's maybe, a story that's still out there, honestly. Like, like maybe it's more that the studio was trying to go big. And they realized that with the script that she had put together, they could catch a bigger fish and they were going to cut her. Instead of it being Leo trying to steal from her, it was the <laughs> studio being like, we can get Leo now. We don't need you anymore. I think it's more likely it's the studio than it is Leo. Yeah, and it could be both, frankly, right? He initiated it by wanting it and they were, and they were like, oblige. oh, that's interesting. This thing that we weren't going to throw any money at. Maybe we're interested right. in throwing some money at this. Mm -hmm. Right. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, why are they suddenly they have twenty million dollars for right. Rio? But still a six million dollar budget. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, that kind of tells you how they value people in yeah. this situation. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Hollywood sucks. They literally put a dollar amount on it. Yeah. <laughs> the studio when she was told to walk, the studio hired Oliver Stone. Angel Stewart director. I mean, <laughs> who, as we know, is very reliable and, mm, how do I say this, effective in his quote-unquote critique of violence movies, like Natural Born Killers. So when he drops out, the studio comes back to her. And in the meantime, she's like, if they come back, that's okay with me. Uh-oh, are right. you guys still there? Oh, you're still there. Oh, you know, okay, yeah. yeah, we're listening I... to you. Yeah. <laughs> we, were, um, we are wrapped, okay? okay. <laughs> we are wrapped. That's what you're experiencing. I was waiting for the laugh line after the natural born killers because boy, I that movie I, sucks I groaned. Ass. There was groaning. It sucks ass. Okay, yeah, I, I haven't seen it, so it is You've not a critique. No, oh, no, I, I think I. You are not it. a '90s kid. I, I think I walked in at one point when Devin's dad was watching it, and I was like, "Well, this is fucking disgusting," and I walked out. Yeah, I saw it on a double date with the boy that would eventually become my nephew. What? <laughs> There's a lot to unpack there, Rachel. <laughs> Stick around for the bonus content to hear more. Don't tell me California is a country. <laughs> so she's like, okay, if they come back to me, I'm just going to be like, sure, I'll take it back. Great. And in the meantime, they can't agree on how they're going to play Bateman in this script. Are they going to play him like Jekyll and Hyde? Are they not? So according to Guinevere Turner, in the meantime, Gloria Steinem takes Leonardo DiCaprio to a baseball game and asks him not to do this movie. Thank God. In her most feminist move. <laughs> in her most feminist move. Because the National Organization for Women had been trying to organize a boycott of the publisher of the book. 
what she knew about it was the book which is understandable why she'd be like no don't yeah please, please don't leo <laughs> yeah please god <laughs> don't do this yeah wait 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 for wolf of wall street the world will be better at that point. You'll understand then. Or <laughs> mm, more entrenched, you know. <laughs> <call me coffee. laughs> yes, right. <laughs> so side note, shortly after the filming of this movie wraps, Steinem ironically marries Christian Bale's father and becomes his stepmother. Intriguing. Really? Yeah. And y'all thought I was country. Okay. Let's keep <laughs> Leo it going. Leo drops out in this kerfluffle. In the meantime, he's offered a movie called The Beach. So he goes and does that. When the studio didn't have the star anymore, they decided, okay, it would be simpler to let Mary back in. But they still don't want her to cast Christian Bale because he wasn't a big enough star. So she put together a list of people that she was pretty sure would say no. <laughs> and she went her. down that list. And that list was Ben Affleck, okay. Matt Damon. No. I do think Matt Damon at this time would have been an interesting portrayal. I know. Yeah. I, I'm talking about Matt Damon, the actor. Yeah, like like in Gone Girl. Yes. Yeah. Well, that, that was Affleck. That, that, that was, that oh, was that's Affleck. Affleck. Yeah, I, yeah, I'm thinking a more gritty, darker turn of Google Hunting. Yeah, but he was supposed to be like model, good looking. Yeah. You, you guys don't find Matt Damon good looking? No. Oh. Okay. No. no. Not even when he was at his peak. I mean, I liked the Bourne trilogy. Don't get me wrong. Uh huh. But it was never like, heartthrob reasons. So you thought Ben Affleck was more attractive then? I mean, I had a boyfriend that looked exactly like Ben Affleck. So now oh, I with the hair and everything? At him. Yes. Oh, good for you. <laughs> I mean, it didn't suck. <laughs> I mean, he kind of did, but. <laughs> I feel like Matt Damon would have smirked his whole way through this role in a way that would not have worked. Yeah, I can agree with that. So she goes to Ben Affleck. He says no. She goes to Matt Damon. He says no. She goes to Ewan McGregor. And. <laughs> That one scared everybody. So Christian Bale also went to you and McGray and was like, please don't do it. Vince Vaughn. Oh, no. Oh, no. Can you imagine? Oh, me. I've seen the second season of True Detective. (laughs) No. (laughs) And Ed Norton. That would have been interesting. It would have been interesting. He had the chops. Like, attractive enough. Right, yeah. right. And she and Heron actually argued that he was not attractive enough. And the executives pushed back on her and was like, well, it would be an interesting choice. And she's like, you would not say this about a, if we were casting a woman right now. <sighs> right. You would not be making exceptions about the appearance of this character. So, Great um, actor, but you need yes. someone who's seductively attractive. Absolutely. To get someone to get in the car a second time. Listen, of this group of dudes, that would be my attractive choice, but that is not everybody's attractive choice and not it would, it would kind of this. Yeah. So finally, they relented on Christian Bale and paid him very little. She thinks about $50,000. Academy Award winning actor now, by the way. Yep. Yep. Yeah. I mean, well, this movie God, yeah. pretty I, much launched him, right? Yeah. And the I reason really she man. wanted him is because she saw other people and she's like they don't get that this guy sucks oh and christian bale gets that this guy is ridiculous the reason that she loved his reading of this is because he understood how pathetic patrick bateman was at his Mm -hmm. court what a dork he was (laughs) And, and the other readings were not getting that they all thought he was like a cool guy no so no, anyway, no, 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 so no, what no. she says I mean, about, yeah. about all of this is, this is her quote, women directors, you don't have the danger of being treated like a genius and going mad with power. 
And she's like, maybe it's better that way because it keeps you grounded. But no danger. Oh, jeez. I read a little bit about this, just, you know, in my background, kind mm-hmm. of just kind of familiarizing myself with it. And she told the story of when her mom met Stanley Kubrick. Did you read this? Oh, yeah. And how everything he said, everyone laughed uproariously mm-hmm. or told him how genius he was and how weird that experience was. Yes. And I, and I mean, that tracks, right? Yes. And that was probably... the context of this quote, actually, as she was oh, talking about well, meeting, people meeting Stanley <laughs> Kubrick and being like, that was very strange. I would hate to live life like that. Yeah. And that's what I mean about Leonardo DiCaprio like being 10% of that. <laughs> not encouraged, probably to be like, hey, no. somebody else's, that's somebody else's. I think at a certain level of fame, there's just a feedback loop that you're protected yeah. from any negative 100%. consequences of your yeah. actions. Yeah. And I, to be clear, I don't necessarily was critical as I am of Leo doing that. I blame the executives much more. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Because he yeah. can say mines all he wants, yeah. but they're not going to facilitate that and be such dicks about it, too. Right. Do either of you guys have any information about what the version with Leo was going to be like? Because I know something, but I don't want to step I on I don't, know. No, go for it. Shoot it. So it was being rewritten to be more of a Jekyll Hyde story, oh, God. so that he had a good side and then a bad side. No. Any guess in the right woman changed him? I mean, I don't think the right woman exists, right? They're meant for killing for the for the dark side, right? <sighs> the thing we're talking about how Christian Bale was the only person who recognized that this he was a dork and and not some sort of anti-hero, right? Important to this, yeah. That's like the biggest problem I have. That's why I have no interest in watching with the all of prestige movie. TV. Yeah, <laughs> Cruella Deville murdered dogs to wear their skin. You don't, I don't need to know her backstory. I don't want to feel sympathy for her. She is a bad person. Maleficent is a bad person. The Joker is a bad person. You can make a movie of them being a bad person, but I don't want, I don't need all these anti heroes. It's not fun. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And Heron actually talked about how she excised parts of the book that talk about Patrick Bateman's mother and brother that give any context to this. And she's like, I don't care. It's mm-hmm. more interesting if we don't know. And I don't know why Americans feel so compelled to like yeah. <laughs> make it a message about yeah. nature or nurture or whatever. She's like, you don't, you just leave it. Yep. We're so ensconced in this time in horror where everything is about trauma response. Yes. It's funny to see her be like, doesn't really matter. He's a monster. Yeah. Well, it, yeah. And I think you all could tell me if this is true or not, but I kind of feel like the proliferation of the superhero genre everywhere means that we always feel like we need an origin story. 100%. I totally agree. It's why I really, really liked uh, Suicide Squad this past weekend because he did it for like one character then everything else was just these are the people who they are and filled in gaps when he needed it. And don't get me wrong, I I love a superhero movie. The Dark Knight is one of my favorite movies ever made and I do like them but at the same time, that's a different kind of cinema. And mm-hmm. if you can't see yeah. past Disney's marketing bullshit just to try to get you to buy shit through a facade of wokeness, then you are a crazy person. I hate Disney. <laughs> Welcome to the Hall of Hollywood. <laughs> I, I hate Disney so much. Oh. <laughs> they, make, they make so many things I like, but God, what a heartless organization. 
oh, I mean, that's capitalism. What you don't like is capital. Yeah. Well, I hate capitalism too. Yeah. Yeah. That. yeah yes. That's that's really what it is. Because, I mean, you see it in the story with Mary Heron, right? Mm-hmm. She came up against capitalism. I love that what she gets to do is turn around and make this movie that is about all these assholes and sort of, you know, the rot that is caused by capitalism is pretty, pretty great. Mm-hmm. Pretty great. Okay. Yeah. So thank you. I hope I didn't go too hard on Leonardo DiCaprio. <laughs> no, it's fine. I think Leo's going to be okay. Yeah, I think, I think be he's okay. going to make I, it. I, I was here for him. Ho- okay. Hopefully, I'll, I'll catch an invite to the Killers of the Flower Moon premiere. <laughs> You'll be on the yacht in no time. Don't oh, worry, me, Larry. Me, Jonah, and Leo. Oh, what a what a dream. All right. So, Larry. Yes. You have the storied production. Yes. Story. Uh, <laughs> Not the best chosen words. Hopefully you'll do better. Tell me about how this about the background for this movie. Yeah, sure. So I kind of approached this how I do it for Here's Johnny. So the first thing I wanted to talk about were the actors, right? So Tilda did a, a wonderful job explaining a lot of this stuff when it came to Mary Heron and Christian Bale. So it stars Christian Bale, Jared Leto, William Defoe, Chloe Savini, and Reese Witherspoon. Bale is now an Academy Award winning actor. He won for his role in The Fighter. And he's best known for his roles in the Dark Knight trilogy, American Hustle, The Big Short, Vice, and many other films. Fun fact, Bale has said that he used Nick Cage's performance in Vampire's Kiss to inspire oh, himself yes. really? for this role. I read that he used that and one other thing. Did you read the same thing? Maybe not. What was the other thing? He used so Nick Cage's performance in Vampire's Kiss in a 1993 interview with Tom Cruise, where he said that Tom Cruise was excessively friendly, but dead behind the eyes. Yeah, I can see that. I don't know if you have this in here, but there was apparently all the other actors that were working with Bale on set Uh were like, he's terrible. Why did she fight for him? (laughs) Oh, no, I did not have that. that. Yes. Josh Lucas and Justin Thoreau. We're just like, what the fuck? This guy's the worst. Because they didn't understand what he was doing. Right. And they're not also actors on his same level. If we're, Ooh, if we're, if we're being fired. honest. <laughs> I like Christian Bale a lot. Okay. He's a, he's yeah. a psychopath, but I do like him a lot. Mm-hmm. Jared Leto, to me, mm-hmm. will always be, first and foremost, the lead singer of 30 Seconds to Mars. Uh, emo is wow. not dead. I'm feeling a generational divide. <laughs> I am too. <laughs> he is not Jordan Catalano to you. Oh, <laughs> interesting. Hot but take. he is a very accomplished actor. He also has won an Academy Award for Best Supporting Actor in Dallas Buyers Club. And he has starred in films such as Urban Legend, Fight Club, Requiem for a Dream, and the Oof. OG Suicide Squad. Oh, that's right. He was Joker he in was that. Joker. I blocked mm-hmm. that movie out locked it out it's gone i couldn't tell you a plot as you should (laughs) (laughs) william defoe is actually one of my favorite actors of all time and i guess i'd never realized that he was even in this i was also Mm -hmm. sinister he's never won an academy award what he's been nominated four times okay that's not won one Wow. I mean, he should have won something for The Lighthouse. Yes, he should have. My God, I love that movie. Or That was the movie that, I don't know, I was sort of Willem Dafoe ambivalent. Mm -hmm. And then I saw that movie and I was like, holy shit, he's one of our great actors. Yeah, he -hmm. he, he truly, Mm -hmm. truly is. Some of his most prominent roles are from films such as Platoon, Mississippi Burning, Spider-Man, and The Lighthouse. Chloe Savini is an Academy Award-nominated actress who has great roles in films like Boys Don't Cry and Kitty, and she had a small but very memorable role in season two of American Horror Story. Do you remember? Do you guys watch it? Is she the nymphomaniac? 
too. I never watched that. She's in that. No, wasn't that her character in Infamaniac? Oh yes, yes. <laughs> okay. Oh my god, I did yeah. not realize that was you watched those movies. Oh, I've I've seen the first one. Oh, I bet that was. I did just not terrible. go back for the second. Well, I mean, if you've ever wanted to see uh, Shia LaBeouf have a anal, I got a movie for you. <laughs> She's also <laughs> phenomenal in Big Love. Also, yeah. If you ever watch Big Love, that. that's the Mormon TV show, right? It's great. Yeah, it's Bill Paxton, and it is great. Yeah, the only text I got from you while you were watching this movie was, I love Chloe Sevigny. <laughs> her her character her. is probably my favorite in the whole movie. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's fair. Far and away. <laughs> Who else are you going to pick? <laughs> <laughs> Who's number two? I guess Willem Dafoe? Yes, yes. that would be one and two. And then, please and don't then ask it's me a sliding pick. scale of zero. <laughs> Maybe Albie? I don't know. Uh, uh, Ruth Lewis is another phenomenal actress mm-hmm. who has been yes. nominated for two Academy Awards, and she has won one. She has starred in films such as Walk the Line, Cruel Intentions, Election, Legally Blonde, Sweet Home Alabama, and Water for Elephants. I take Election personally. I feel like <laughs> it's a very harsh depiction <laughs> of someone with a slightly type A. <laughs> <laughs> Organization of the skills are... I had never seen it until yeah. I read that book, the best movie year ever, which is all about movies that came out in 1999. Mm. Mm-hmm. And that's when I read it. I watched it for the first time. And it's uh, very critical of the go get them uh, <laughs> high school girl. Yes. <sighs> very hurtful. Hurt my feelings personally. <laughs> <laughs> so apparently, we didn't talk about this originally, but the initial director yes. was going to be David Cronenberg. That's interesting and do you know who he wanted no he wanted brad pitt as pat bateman oh lord oh good god interesting i mean yeah it wouldn't have been as bad it's been so clinical trying to imagine what his version of this would be like i'm kind of almost curious Mm -hmm. this is the first one where i'm like that's interesting yes because it would have been a different movie because Cronenberg, obviously, with his body horror, it would have just been different than what we would have gotten from a Leo plus whoever kind of Yeah. Movie. He's just so interested yes. in the brokenness of the human mind. Yes. I don't think he would lionize Patrick Bateman like no. a, like no. Oliver Platt. No. Oliver, uh, I almost said Oliver mm-hmm. Platt. So I, that's why I'm kind of like kind of interested. If I could step into an alternate universe where I could just watch that movie real quick and come back to this one, I would check that out. Similarly to how I think I am interested to know what a Tim Burton, Nick Cage, Superman movie would have been like. Oh, a hundred percent. I would love to have seen that. It's, it's, it's like <laughs> that. Even if it this was is the like an worst. alternate timeline that I would be curious to see. Oh my God. I would love. Why? See, this is how we knew we were in the worst timeline, right? Because <laughs> that Kim movie didn't happen. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's how you know. Yes, and Matilda did a great job going into the back and forth between directors, but there was one actor who was trying to throw his name out there to play Patrick Bateman, and that was Johnny Depp. Interesting. I think would have been another interesting portrayal of this character. I mean, there was a time where, yes, anything post-Black Pearl, no. Mm -hmm. Really? Because he just basically played... (laughs) <laughs> the same character oh okay I, I, I see what you're saying yeah ever since then he's like this is just what i do now i just would have been afraid it would have ended up like secret window which he starred in again yeah. like the jackal and hyatt thing which is just not yeah. what this book no, is. yeah 
He also, yeah, I, he's almost too pretty. I don't know. Maybe because I can only see Christian Bale in this role. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, like, I agree. He has a very, very Ivy League handsomeness to him. Which to me is, you know, like part of it. Poisonous frogs are brightly colored, so you know they're dangerous. He has that kind of bone structure. A hundred percent. Yeah. Femininity to his yes. beauty. Yeah. His androgyny is what I always liked about right. him yeah. when I was, you know, like crybaby. He yes. Was exactly. Like yes, yeah. A little bit too wholesome. Like, like I'm imagining him totally buff, and I'm ooh, squeaking me out. I know. And Brad Pitt, <laughs> arguably similar. Yeah. 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 So the film premiered at Sundance in January of 2000, and then it premiered theatrically in April of the same year. The film has a cult following, and many critics and audience alike praise the screenplay and Christian Bale's performance. The film is based on the novel of the same name by Brett Easton Ellis, although having similar beats, the novel is far more graphic in both language and plot. And it is truly quite a revolting read. That is that is my own <laughs> editorializing. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Although that's also fact. That's just fact. Yeah. <laughs> Shot on a budget of seven million dollars, the film would gross over thirty-four million at the box office. One of the promotional marketing for the film was that you could register to receive emails from Patrick Bateman Oof. that were supposedly meant to go to his therapist. The emails documented Bateman's life post-film, talking about his marriage, career, and his thoughts on current events. Oof. <laughs> Lionsgate also spent over $50,000, which is apparently all it costs to get Christian Bale to act in this movie, to make an online stock market game called Make a Killing with American Psycho. What the hell? I feel like they really did not get this movie. No, they did the not. The marketing is bizarre. Nope. Yeah, it, it invited people to invest fake money into Hollywood stars and to see how well they would do over time. That's a very weird game to make after their behavior here. The executives of, at, at uh, Lionsgate, Lionsgate said yeah. that even though it cost a lot of money, it was definitely worth it. Right. <laughs> this is mystifying the film was scored by john kale who was a founding member of the velvet underground and it featured songs from dope david bowie the cure and new order even though huey lewis in the news and phil collins are pivotal in the film slash book neither of them appear on the official film soundtrack although huey lewis does have a very prominent role in the movie for a very pivotal scene Mm -hmm. yeah the film was originally given an nc-17 but it was dropped to an r rating with 18 seconds of patrick bateman's threesome with the two prostitutes was cut okay because that's the disturbing yes right because that's the problem yeah Uh, (laughs) a sequel was apparently made in 2002 starring mila kunis and apparently it has almost no connection to the original film and apparently it was not very good (laughs) that's shocking (laughs) it seems again like there's a a recurring theme here is that the people who Finance the movie did not understand what kind of movie was being made. Right, because it's like a slasher, right? I think the, so. The, the sequel? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Oh my god. The poster art is kind of hilarious, actually. Did you look at the poster art? Yeah, it's ridiculous. I almost it, couldn't tell it was Mila Kunis. Yeah. Did she have a scythe or something? Yeah. It's not, it doesn't look good. There's also a sort of related film, which is based on another Brett Easton Ellis book called The Rules of Attraction with James Vanderbeek. Have you guys seen that? No, I, I James Vanderbeek though. I haven't, and he's the he plays the little brother of Patrick Bateman, yes, right? Exactly, he's Sean Bateman, Patrick Bateman's younger brother. Because mm-hmm. his his books connect apparently. 
one thing I forgot to ask you guys off the top that I wanted to circle back to is, was this a first watch for you? And what is your experience with this property? Matilda, you go first. <laughs> sure. So this is not a first watch for me, but it has been years. I was initially not very interested in watching this movie because during the 90s, when all of the stuff was raging about the Alice novel, I was doing work in domestic violence and rape crisis. Oh, geez. So I was hearing a lot about it. You know, I was a subscriber to Ms. Magazine. I was hearing a lot about the kind of dialed up misogyny and violence Mm. against women that was in that book, coupled with the fact that I was kind of aware of him from like less than zero, right? Because that had just Mm -hmm. come out. Less than zero is about very rich, entitled kids doing too much cocaine. And I grew up in a place where there was some of that in my town and my interest in connecting with those characters is low. (laughs) I also kind of tagged Brett Easton Ellis as probably not for me. He's not safe for life. Yeah. (laughs) And, you know, and I was a kid who read a lot of shocking stuff. I read a lot of edge stuff, but I was like, I don't know that I need this to be it. I don't know if this is the perspective that I need to read this from. So when the movie came out, I was like, "Ah." and then I think it was only when I learned that it was Mary Heron several years ago that I watched it. Okay. Yeah. And then you read the book. And then I read the book this week. (laughs) You poor thing. I read the book this week and I will talk about this because I was like, no, I really should. I want to know what, where she went as opposed to what the book was and how much was text and how much was her lens. Yeah. And by the end of the book, I found the book, we'll talk about this in the bonus, pretty boring Yeah. at a certain point. Oh, yeah. It is both disgusting and boring. Mm-hmm. And I listened to the last three hours on double speed to get through it faster to be less grossed out. And it really helps to have an Alvin and the Chipmunks kind of reading. it. <laughs> <laughs> so pro tip, if you feel like you need to do this to yourself do it alvin and the chipmunk style okay how about you larry what what's your what's your background with this yeah, property so i never watched it oh so this is the first one mm. fun then i went through a kick where she started reading brett easton ellis and she read american psycho and i remember she's like you wouldn't believe the shit that's in this book and i was like it can't be that bad <laughs> and, and so she showed me a segment of it and i was like i cannot believe that published it was like a mm. paragraph way before the bethany stuff and so mm-hmm. we moved out to utah and I started a podcast with Justin, right. and he wanted to tackle a book review. And on the mm-hmm. bookshelf, constantly staring at me, was this book. On the cover of it is, like, this distinguished-looking, almost Jeffersonian picture of a guy. Yeah. And oh, God. because I am involved enough in horror, I was aware of the place that American Psycho kind of has in the zeitgeist, right? The movie, that is. So Justin and I talked about it. He listened to the audiobook, and I read it. And it was our very first patron-exclusive review. Yeah. And my God. Uh, <laughs> I read it when I was out in Utah at public transportation, so I rode the train to and from work. And there were literally parts where I, I was embarrassed to be reading it out on the train. Yeah. Mm-hmm. When I got to the Bethany scene, which we're going to get to in the bonus episode, I literally put the book down for like a week. Ow. Because it was just, it was just too much. Like my, my, my one of my sister's name is Bethany. Oh, oh no, no, I'm sorry. I didn't... <laughs> no, no, it's, <laughs> it's, no, it's totally fine. That bugged me about it. And biggest thing is what Matilda said. I'm really happy she brought it up. Is that 
Not only is this book misogynistic and homophobic and racist and just literally everything bad, it's high in its own shit, and it's boring. The only good thing about this <laughs> book is his musical analysis. That's it. I enjoyed him talking about Huey Lewis and Phil Collins and Whitney Houston. I enjoyed that. And that's it. I would not recommend this book to anybody unless you wanted to understand mm-hmm. more about this movie. Academic reason. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Whitney um, Houston, like, P.S., refused to have anything to do with this movie. She was like, you cannot use my name. You cannot. Yeah. Although yeah. There, that part is hella funny. And after finishing American Psycho, I have literally zero interest in ever reading anything else by him. Yeah. You were not interesting enough to it. He would be shocked to learn that. (laughs) I will say that if you read the right kind of analysis, not from someone who's sniffing Brady's Nelson's farts, but like someone who's really trying to break it down. Uh Uh-huh. I do think there could be a little bit of there there. I don't know if Brett Easton Ellis intended it or because he's just a such a stuck-up douchebag that it happened to come through his misogyny. But we'll talk about this I would more. argue that this movie is that. And we'll talk about <laughs> it more in the end. But, no, this was a first-time viewing for me, but I had read the book and it left quite the impression. Yeah, I was okay. going to say your memory for this is really good. I've never read a book where I've been like, embarrassed to be holding it in public. And I've read, I've read, yeah, never before. And this was it. Or a book that like really like disturbed me so badly that I had to put it down and walk away. And I read, mm-hmm. and I read Stephen King. So. Right. Yeah. And I had read a lot of Mary Gateskill and a lot of stuff that should, yeah. you know, I had given Charles Bukowski a try because that was a thing at a certain point. <laughs> yeah. That's not good. That's no good. P.S. <laughs> I've read a lot of Chuck. Oh, yeah, um, exactly. I only, re- I only ever read Fight Club of his. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot in there, right? We can yeah. hang with the horror of yep. human on human violence. But went through like an Irvine Welsh phase. BC Andrews. BC mm-hmm. Andrews. Listen. listen. <laughs> <laughs> Do not besmirch the name of one Victoria C. Andrews. But, right, but, I've yeah. read all of Margaret Atwood. I've read all of Denise Minna. Yeah. It's also a little bit like a fish talking about water. Yeah. And so I think, mm-hmm. I don't know that he has the distance he thinks he does. Right. In this book. Yeah. All right. So let's get into, we know a little bit about the movie. We know about our history. Oh, my history is, I saw this when it first came out and was kind of like, huh? And then never really thought about it again. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I don't think that in, you know, 2000, I was ready to engage with this movie on anything other than an extremely literal level. And, you know. I think I'm ready now. Mm. Uh-huh. <laughs> or we'll see. We'll see. We'll mm-hmm. see. All right. So before we get into our synopsis, which will have spoilers, we're going to give our non-spoilery thoughts about this movie, what we liked about it, who we recommend watching it, that kind of thing. Then we'll get into the synopsis and then do our spoiler review. So, Matilda, let's start with you. What did you think in a non-spoiler fashion of American Psycho? I think that the... The quote that I talked about at the beginning where this is a misogynistic novel that gets made into a feminist film is accurate. I think the cinematography is beautiful. It does some really interesting things. You can feel the hand of Mary Heron and it is a hand I am interested in. Yes. And I think that it is transformed into kind of a critique of masculinity Hmm. um, in a way that's really interesting. Yeah, I'll talk more in a more granular way about it later, but that's my pro. Would you recommend? I would 
with spoilers recommend. Yes. I mean, it's not an everybody recommend. Not a blanket. Not like, a blanket. Hey, mom. No. Well, actually, your mom would be fine. I always say mom, but then I remember where your mom would be like, <laughs> I have thoughts. <laughs> you would not be like, grandma, <laughs> check this out. No. Family function. Let's do it. Oh, wait, no. no. Your family would watch this. Oh, oh yeah. Totally. <laughs> All right. How about you, Larry? What did you think of your first watch in a non-spoiler fashion of One American Psycho? want to echo what Matilda said about the cinematography and then add in that the acting across the board is fantastic. Yes. It was not as violent as I had led myself to possibly believe it was based on what I knew of the book and where it kind of sits in the culture. But similarly to the novel, even though this does do some interesting things, overall I found it to be very boring. Mm -hmm. Interesting. There are some high highs, but there are some really boring lulls I've found. I think part of it might just be because the masculinity that I was kind of brought up with, and we can kind of talk about some of the spoilery part, mm -hmm. was never really entrenched in this cotton culture. Mm -hmm. So like to me, it's just very boring and dull. It came across that way in the novel too. If you're watching it more as like a film study or like a a book to page or the feminist critique of a masculine pile of dribble. I do think that that's interesting, but if you were trying to have like a good spooky slasher movie, I would watch a lot of other things. So I really like it. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm kind of relieved that you guys didn't hate it. Cause I, I was worried I was going to come into this as the, you know, the, the weirdo that really liked it. I by no means hated it. Okay, that's. I mean, and if you did, that's okay too. No, I, I, I wouldn't. <laughs> I didn't tell make you. the movie. This, no, I, I wouldn't tell you. I did not hate it. Okay. To me, this movie made me think of something that Matilda often says. This is, there it is, <laughs> when a dude exposes his chauvinism, <laughs> writ large over the course of a two, you know, almost two-hour film. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I appreciate that it abused Patrick Bateman to the same degree of unsurprised disdain with which I feel whenever I run into a tech bro. Yeah. <laughs> like, which is the Wall Street is the East Coast equivalent of what we have on the West Coast, which is the tech bro okay. who is drinking a tall boy out of a paper bag on Bart and talking about like no fat chicks, you know? Yeah. So the, the little, the little captain of industry in cargo shorts. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. And so I appreciated sort of the tone and the cutting critique of that particular brand of masculinity throughout the entire runtime of the movie. I thought the performance is obviously incredible, especially Bale. You know, I will never unsee his little moonwalk with the axe. It's just a great movie moment. Yeah. Yes. I thought this the, the world building in this was really effective. It's just dripping with chauvinism and cocaine. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and the dialogue I found hilarious especially any of these beats where the guys are just sitting around being so douchey because <laughs> usually we'd act like that was a witty commentary but the way it's delivered it's much more accurate where it's just eye roll inducing like ugh, the scene with the business yes. cards is freaking incredible I appreciated the juxtaposition of the soundtrack of the movie being pretty great 80s to the top 40s that he had such strong opinions. Yeah. It's just as soulless as he is. Oh my God. So I appreciated that. <laughs> it's appropriate, perfectly appropriate. And 
I, I just think this movie, in one respect, this is sad. But on the other hand, it made for me an enjoyable view is that it's such a timeless satire of a, a culture that has perpetuated over the last how many years? 21 years. Mm -hmm. It feels just as relevant, just as biting as today as it probably did at the time. And I think it's pretty I find great. That interesting. And I'm excited to talk about that. Mm -hmm. Okay. Mm -hmm. I honestly feel like the love that it gets is is deserved, mm -hmm. especially when you consider the source material. If you want to talk about the importance of female gaze, I don't know that there's a better example than this yes. movie. Yeah. Yeah. So female gaze for the win. I would recommend this to, I don't know, obviously I wouldn't recommend it to my parents, but every smart lady friend or smart dude friend I have needs to watch this movie, I think. All right. So. Those are our non-spoilery thoughts. Choose your own adventure. I say choose it, but, you know, you do you, boo. There is some animal violence, though, I will warn you, at the 22-minute mark. So if you are sensitive, a delicate little snowflake like me, just skip to what minute 23, it? and you're gold. The dog. The dog. It is nothing compared to the book of that yeah, scene. Maybe yeah, maybe that's why it didn't leave an yep. impression on me, because there's some shit in the book. Yep, that was that scene. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, I know. I was going to read the book, and then you're like, a lot of animal violence. A lot and I was like, of animal violence. That scene or you can just tell me about it. Went on. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, the majority of the scenes in that god-awful book. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay, save it for the extent. Save it for the extent. All right. So, you now have had plenty of time. I have vamped. You should be gone if you are spoiler-averse. Matilda, give me the synopsis for this here movie. All right. Welcome back, everybody, who's now gone and watched this movie. So, the synopsis for... American Psycho. Patrick Bateman is a handsome, arrogant, and pathetically striving young executive <laughs> on Wall Street in 1987. Obsessed with labels and physical and aesthetic perfection, he actively competes with his friends and colleagues. However, his appetites also run toward murder, especially of those he deems disposable. Unable to feel anything but greed and disgust, we follow Bateman as he rampages desperately through a series of seemingly consequence-free crimes. As I read that last sentence, it looks like we are unable to feel anything but greed and disgust, and that's also probably true. <laughs> as I was <laughs> that is accurate. All right. So, lay it on me. Who would like to go first in your feelings about this movie? I will go first, because I, I think yeah, I might there be we go. in the minority. So I'll start with my biggest pro. I hate the book. You'll find that out later. Okay. I, I really did not like it. Which is why I had no interest after finishing it to watch the movie. But Matilda's description earlier on is perfect. This is someone who is an active feminist telling the story and just putting all of the snark and critique and just no hold bar criticism to Patrick Bateman and the Patrick Batemans of the world and the idea of capitalism and the idea of the competing and everything. That is very interesting. I do think if you were to read the book and then watch this movie and then have a conversation about film, it's, it's, it's wonderful because the film is also shot beautifully and it's the acting is just like top of the line. Like I, I told you that the big name actors are in it and I made a starky comment about Thoreau and Lucas, but like they're forgettable because they are forgettable because they're surrounded by these A-list talents, to this day A-list talents. Mm -hmm. And I think it makes a lot of fun but I guess because of what's in the book, I was prepared for a lot more slashery kind of stuff. And yeah. that was very held back. 
um, some of the violence which I was most prepared for was actually kind of hidden mm-hmm. in several scenes. Thank God, mm-hmm. but but it it was. So for someone like me who has been accused of being snobby when it comes to my film, sorry, lovers of Kenny and the T Rex, <laughs> you liked it. <laughs> I think it's very good. The biggest problem is that I found it boring, and this is what I'm really interested to talk to you guys about is. I did not grow up. I, I grew up and and was surrounded by a lot of what is easily con- considered today toxic masculinity, and mm-hmm. this kind of stuff. Even at my time in Miami, which is kind of known as the Greek capital of the USA, with could we have so many alpha and beta chapters on campus? I never got this kind of Pat Patrick Bateman vibe, ever. So hmm. it was always very. It, it never clicked. Yeah, if that makes sense, right. and this is, this has never been the masculinity that I've been surrounded by. Uh huh. So, right. It's much more like macho, huh? Less metro. Yeah. It, it, yeah. Exactly. Because these guys never once talk about how many chicks they're sleeping with. You know what I mean? And that was a common conversation both at West Point right. and at Miami and in high school, right? And like the fact that Patrick Bateman was talking about music and breaking it down, or like they were comparing their their car their business cards, right? That yeah never happened. So it all came across as boring. And I'm not saying that's not the way it was. But I also, there's only, there was one kid in my high school growing up who was in love with Donald Trump. He had all his books Ooh. and he parted his hair like him oh and he God, wanted to be this businessman. Fascinating. And this, this kid, I mean, I'm not going to say his name, but he was my science fair partner my senior year. Was it Donald Jr.? <laughs> yeah, called, called Donald Jr. And, and we, he was my science fair partner. But the, 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 the most interesting thing was he was the most comfortable in his sexuality of any of the guys I was around. But he was never like this. You know what I mean? And he was the only mm-hmm. person who I ever knew growing up who idolized Donald Trump before, obviously, the, the mega mega QAnon where we go when we go all shit hit the mm-hmm. fan be, but it must be but yeah i, I, I don't know like dark the, now <laughs> so so that's the hard part for me is both in the book and more specifically talk about the movie this kind of critique of masculinity just never landed and i think there's a lot better movies out there that kind of critique masculinity than this hmm. so i don't know that's why i can appreciate the filmmaking i can appreciate the writing and i can definitely appreciate the acting it's just, I don't know. It wasn't, because you always hear about how great it is. And I'm not saying it's a bad movie. I'm just saying it's very boring. It's very dry. Uh-huh. For like 70% mm. of this movie. To me. Okay. That's fair. How about you, Matilda? Did you find this boring? Am I alone? I feel weird. Because I was like, I am totally engaged. I don't know that I found this. I found the book boring. I found the movie flat in places. And I assumed it was on purpose. Okay. Yeah, definitely. So, I mean, I feel like I did grow up with this kind of masculinity. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This is actually the flavor of masculinity. Interesting. That I grew up with. I grew up in a town where a lot of kids were the children of bank executives. Oh, wow. See, that was, no, that was not, that was not my hometown. <laughs> in the 80s, and this particular bank was very invested in South Africa, so Ooh. The school sometimes would get pushback if about kids talking about apartheid, for instance. Interesting. Like, that's unpleasant, and we don't talk about it. So there's a kind of not macho masculinity, but intellectual sparring. And the scene that she makes with the emasculation and castration by business card. Ooh. Yeah. 
was one of the funniest things I've seen. I was seriously dying. (laughs) It was so smart and just so cutting. It was, it was, you want to talk about snip, snip. Oh, yes. So good. Yes. And I think coming from me that it was just, that did not come across that way. I mean, it's metaphorical dick measuring. It is. Like that thing about bragging about girls is those cards. Yes. And the fact that it's these petty little cards and that they're fighting about font, there's no there there. And that's kind of the point. Yes. And so I just thought it was such a great illustration of that idea. Yes. And I, I do understand that. It's just, again, it's just like that was, it was just not what. I was aware of, if that makes any sense. Yes. Yeah. So deliciously petty. Like, oh, it's so it great. It was very apparent, right? It was more just, I feel like there's like better ways. To, I don't know. I don't know. I, I just have a different view, I guess. So yeah. apparently Christian Bale can sweat on cue. I read that. <laughs> He's just sitting there just bucketing sweat. That is not makeup. He was so in the character and so in this moment of just total fragility of his ego yes. that he was able to just manifest sweat mm-hmm. man he's a psychopath oh. but he is such a wonderful actor yeah he is the epitome of uncool under pressure yes. <laughs> <laughs> just the fragility of it was so oh. delicious and i think yeah. that you know oh. having grown up with a little bit more of that and with some dudes like this right who lived on the other oh. side of town in the fancy part of town I took classes with those dudes and it's part of why I'm putting this together as we talk about it, because I think it comes out on the podcast. It comes out like when I talked about Leo earlier, my willingness to kind of go full castration (laughs) comes from this culture (laughs) with these guys. Do you know what I mean? Right. And also that's my mother was one of the first women engineers in a corporate environment and was surrounded by these dudes. Yeah. Your life is so interesting. The more I find out, the more questions I have. <laughs> you I, have no idea. The shit she can say. She can't even get into it on mic. Yeah. Someday we'll all hang out. <laughs> there are no boring people in my life. Y'all are fascinating. So having grown up around this, the Supreme Court hearings were a rough go for me these last couple okay. of years, right? Yeah. These are your Brett Kavanaugh's. Yeah. That's what this yep. is. It's like the hard thing for me. It's like I get, and that's why I find it boring, is I get what they're trying to do i get the criticism like it's apparent right i mean it's brilliantly written and you can tell by what's happening on the screen that's just not the masculinity i know at all yeah that's why it's like it feels dated almost Mm -hmm. i wonder if it's also because they are not on your personal threat assessment what do you mean yeah to me the patrick batemans are the most sinister of all i would Correct. take a bro i would take a macho like a meathead any redneck day. Me- me- over one of these guys these this is who i'm afraid this is what goes in the bump in the night for me really is a patrick Bateman. well yeah I- I- terrified because not only are they fucking sociopaths they have so many layers of privilege and protection that they can get away with murder literally see because i always view guys like that as just weak that is why they can do what yep. they do. Right, because then they cry. I don't think I'm going to get away with it this time. Yeah. I mean, look at what's-his-face, the Stanford yep. guy that raped the girl behind. I mean, that's a Patrick Bateman. Yeah. Yep. And that's that's who's going to slip a roofie in your drink. It's yeah. not some fucking redneck or a biker. It's that guy. And that's what I think and is that so guy who's smart. not going to have, you're not going to get any justice around it because that guy's daddy is going to get him out of trouble. That's what I started to love about this movie is it just went on yes. and on with no consequences. And I was like, no, that's right. Correct. And in the end, even in the yes. end, <laughs> no consequences. 
because he's able to just slip the mask on and no one around him is critical. Yeah. They're not investigating anything around him critically at mm-hmm. all. Well, well, you also have to ask yourself a question and it's even more apparent in the book too is did this even actually happen? Right. Is this real? Right. Or is this like his fantasy? The thing is, is ultimately that question, when I watched this movie in a literal way, I was definitely caught up in that. I need to know the answer to that. Yeah. But I think this time through, knowing that I wasn't really going to get an answer, yeah. I wasn't. So I was able to look at it a different way. And I kind of feel like that is literally the point. Mm-hmm. Is that that's what makes these monsters successful. It doesn't matter why they do it. It doesn't matter the psychology behind it. The point is about the power dynamic. But also, it's about what losers these people are at the same time. It definitely is willing to examine that and be critical of that. And I think it is a totally different and really enjoyable take on antiheroes in a time when we are at peak antihero. Yeah. yeah. And I like an antihero. Trust me. I mean, I watched all of Breaking Bad. I watched all of The Shield. I watched all the that Sopranos stuff. And everything, yeah. mm-hmm. The Sopranos. Yes. That's the thing I was going to say that's going to upset you is that the difference between this movie and every monster movie. Basically, Tony Soprano is the forget about it flavor of yeah. Patrick Bateman. Mm-hmm. Except for that this movie knows to be critical of him instead of lionize him. I can see that. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, it's why like I just I don't find the Patrick Batemans of the world like I I laugh at them. Well, and that's why it's why it's so interesting to hear that you guys would be more fearful of that than a redneck at a bar. I think they're probably not going to date rape you and they're probably going to have a much bigger impact of actually in your life. They just do it quietly and with tons of privilege protecting them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think that who Very they nice. are a threat to is specific. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I mean, I, I, yeah, right. I'm not questioning it. It's just, it's just interesting. Like, I, right. I, it's I like the ultimate, that. ultimate punching right. down. Right. Because that's who it's safe to be a threat to. They're not going to mess with you. Yeah. You're a tall white dude. You're fine. Yeah. Well, Devin needs to watch her back around these guys. Right. Yeah. This is why James Spader was a very scary villain to me in the 80s, because he's this guy. Yes. Right? Okay. He, yes. Him in Pretty in Pink is a yeah. Patrick oh, Bateman. Yeah, for sure. Right? And I just feel like, I don't know, what was that movie? It was some documentary called The Corporation or something about how capitalism is actually like the sociopath. Uh, Did you watch that? I No, but no, but that's that totally trans. I mean, they say that. The highest number of sociopaths per capita are CEOs. Yeah. This kind of argues that it's less a personal problem and more of a systemic problem in that it is. Oh, absolutely. It is a sociopathic system and that in order to rise Mm -hmm. in it, you have to disconnect from human feeling, basically, about Mm -hmm. knowing who you're affecting. And that's why I think that this movie does that in a really smart way. Sure. Yeah. You can see Mm -hmm. his disconnection with himself. He can't feel anything anymore except humiliated. Right? Yeah. Yeah, he says what he feels disdain and grief. Yeah. And I the yeah. other thing I loved about this movie was the book has multiple scenes of very pornographic sex with sex workers. Yes. Mm-hmm. Where they are having the best time in the book. Yes. Yes. And I'm this, so glad you're bringing this up. In this yes. movie, they are like, whatever, man. And Mary Heron had talked about how she wanted, and I think she's so effective at this. He is the ultimate bad date, is what she says. Yeah. Not just for sex workers, but for other people. But in terms of treatment of sex workers that's this kind and humanizing in 19, you know, when this was made is really important, I feel like. And 
-hmm. I was in hysterics about them trying to compose their face. He's like, do you want to know where I work? And then they're like, no, no. And then he's like, get over there and put on this Teddy. And then he starts yell mansplaining Phil Collins to them. Oh, I know. And I was like, this is fucking hilarious. This is the worst date. You can't pay me I mean, how many times have you been in that? Not the sex work (laughs) part, but the pontification about something that someone thinks is way more fucking interesting than it is. And you're like, you're just exposing that you're boring today. Yeah. Yeah. And then this is not. Yes. Yes. Or if it's about something you know about and they're just on and on and on about it. You're like, yes, I fucking know. I know that one. Yeah. Yeah. And he doesn't notice. He's just in the mirror. He actually doesn't notice and it's not relevant whether so they're having care. fun or not he's, he yeah doesn't care what their thoughts are what they even think is that no he's just shooting himself in the mirror like finger gunning himself in the mirror yeah i thought that her stuff with that and the violence against those women in the book goes on forever. and in this it's so it's so i was like oh here it comes it's like the subtle. morning after and, it's and there it goes it was good. I yeah. appreciate that she's so much more interested in everything leading up to and after the violence yes. than she is the actual violence, which is definitely not the Oliver Stone version of this movie. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that, you know, she understands that he's the butt of the joke. Yes. Yeah. Even at the end when the lawyer is like, that guy's too much of a dork. Yeah. And we've seen every every moment up until that line, we have been given the evidence for why that that's accurate. Mm-hmm. He is a monster and also a and no one knows who he is. The ultimate burn yeah. is that no one knows who he is. Yeah. Because they all blend no. together. They're, they're, yeah. they're all just one Which, thing. I mean, I'm still not exactly sure who it is that they keep saying he is. Is it the guy? There's so many guys that could right. be. Well, they, they, they call him everything. He has called seven or eight different names throughout yes. the, in the movie. Okay. 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 Yeah, and he just goes with it. Yeah. Uh-huh. Because it doesn't matter in the end. Because they are all the same. The only person who knows who he is is the secretary. Right, and he gets an alibi right. because one of the guys thinks he was there with him. Because yeah. they're all interchangeable. Right. Oh, that scene when when he's cracking under the pressure. He thinks he's this super smooth, you know, shark moving through the yeah. world. And you see just the slightest amount of pressure applied to him, and he's bucketing a cold sweat. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but, but then he still is this super perfect assassin, though, like when he blows up the cars. <laughs> I mean, at that point, I think you're meant to believe we are we're in his non-reality territory. But he's still yeah. perfect. <laughs> right. And just walk it away. <laughs> right. Right. Exactly. I mean, because he could blend, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. He just has douchebag camouflage. But even if he didn't, daddy probably would have got him out of it anyway. I mean, the only time he shows any emotion at all is when he thinks he might get caught. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Then suddenly he's crying. He's every crybaby on the on on the stand, or you know, before con- uh, con- Senate in a confirmation <laughs> hearing, perhaps. Yeah, and what he says when he cries is, "I don't think I'm going to get away with it this time." Yep. 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 And which is the energy that we've seen so many times from these types. Yes. But I don't know. So I don't. That's interesting, Larry. Is this in any way kind of shifting your opinion to know? That the way that he's perceived by women is different. Exactly. And that's why I find it interesting. That's why I think it's fun to talk to you guys about it. I definitely get the misogyny part. That part, I 100% understand. But the critique of toxic masculinity, I just have never been around guys who measure their masculinity in the ways that these guys do, Mm -hmm. ever. And I have been around the whole gambit from like super 
militaristic guys to your frat bros. And this is just something so different. And I think it's one of the reasons why I'm promising a woman, like why that rang so true is because I know those dudes. I knew those girls. I knew those administrators. That's the reality that I know. And Mm -hmm. there are other things too that I understand a little bit better. This just seems dated. I don't know. Ooh, I wish. I I know. (laughs) Again, it, it comes from my, like I grew up in a small rural town and I never really have been around that kind of vibe. But when you guys start talking about Brett Kavanaugh, and that kind this of reaction, it makes more sense. And I understand it. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, it's just to me, like, I feel, I don't know. I feel like there's better ways to critique it now. But when it comes to the misogyny and just the utter grossness of male violence against females, it's portrayed so well. It shows how these women don't care about him and he doesn't care about them. But it's a very different not caring. Mm-hmm. And I'm just, again, I'll reiterate what Matilda said. So goddamn grateful that a woman helmed this and did not make us sit through with a book. Yeah. Yes. I think, I yeah, there are other movies that cover misogyny really well. But I don't know that there are other movies that cover fragility as well. Yeah. Yeah. And this one is just yeah. laser focused yeah. on that in a way that felt really revolutionary, which is maybe an indictment of films overall i don't know and i I think it's also really important that like you guys are saying this was christian bale's movie to lose because i yeah we've listed a lot of actors who have quite the pedigrees nowadays Mm -hmm. i don't think any of them could have done this there are permutations that would have been interesting but what christian bale brought Mm -hmm. this performance because of the actor that he is and the way that he looks and the emotions that he can get through I think that's what nails it too. Yeah. And there's that review that we read of, from Robert e- yeah, Ebert. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Roger Ebert. And I think uh-huh. what he, Roger Ebert, that, thank you. I knew it was wrong, but I was like, the last name sounds that's right. <laughs> <laughs> so where am I going wrong? Something is wrong here. But where he talks about how, and I think this speaks to Christian Bale, ironically, a lack of ego in this situation is that there's no self-preservation in the performance. Yeah. He is perfectly fine with you hating him and thinking he's pathetic and a loser. And I don't know that maybe some of the other actors could have gone there. I mean, to the point where they were having it rewritten so that he could have also a heroic and likable side. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, And I, and I think that totally undercuts the point of this. I think it's really cool that um, Bateman, obviously being a smaller actor at the time was willing to put, almost his career in the hands of Mary Heron, who was not the biggest of directors at the time. Yeah. Either, you know, that's why I think having that whole story that Matilda laid out is so important because it shows if mm-hmm. special people can get together and do something, they can really make something special because this is a special movie. And it's yeah. especially when you get into the source material and how it really, really just fine tuned and just perfected what the best interpretation of the source material could have been. Yeah. Yeah. And no, and what like Ellis said, was saying he was going for. Yeah. Right. Which is yeah. why it's so crazy that Ellis didn't want anything to do with the movie. Did you hear the one thing he was pissed about? No. What was he it? was, yeah, he was pissed it. about the moonwalk. Which is one of the most iconic parts of the movie. He's mad because he didn't think of it. That's what he's mad about. <laughs> he sounds like such a douchebag. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So one of the things that being a genre fan growing up, though thankfully less so now, is that I kind of had to get really comfortable with identifying with characters who 
you know, in real life are my chief antagonists, mm-hmm. right? People that actively make my life worse. Mm-hmm. But, you know, to audiences, they're presented in a way that is sympathetic, they're your, they're your avatar, and you find yourself just kind of getting on side for the runtime of the movie, even though in real life there are people who would, who hate you or yeah. at least don't care about you or have disdain for you. And I appreciate that this movie does not ask that of me. Yeah. You know? yeah. This is this is a break from the the lionization of antiheroes, and I never seen one exposed on screen the way that I did in this mm-hmm. one. And I just think people not liking this movie or not being engaged with this movie is totally fine. But for me, for I really just liked this. I I like kind of loved this movie, mm-hmm. <laughs> which is fucked. It's a movie about him killing sex workers. That is not a topic right, I enjoy. Totally, and yet. And yet, I really liked this. And yet, if we have an avatar in this universe, that's it, right? Because we're like, who yeah. cares? Yeah. yeah. Right? I am, tag yourself in this movie. I am the eye roll passed between the two sex workers. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, who are just and like, I don't why... know, this is a nice bathtub. Like... Yeah, and it's why I like your guys' discussion about it, too, because it, it does help me see it. Again, like, I'm not saying I don't see what you guys are talking about, but that isn't what comes across to me. And like, it's still right. just crazy that you perceive what I perceive to be weak, non-threatening yeah. men to be like your guys' biggest threat. It's just crazy. You don't hear so the rattle. Easy to me. It's just yeah. Always so interesting yeah. to talk about that, that kind of stuff. I look at him and I just ooh, I hear a rattlesnake. Totally, like it's, so crazy. I'm immediately. So I see that guy in a bar. I am immediately on guard. Really, it's so crazy. Oh okay. yeah. I don't. They're gonna come over and say something disgusting to yep. me. Like you'd be cute if you lost twenty pounds, you know what yeah. I mean. And then it's, I, I think it's important to get have that conversation too because I'm not sure yeah. how Do large it. your be male on guard. And my age are, but it's just it's just I never would have thought about that. And I think it's cool to talk about. Ladies, gentlemen, be on totally. guard. These are the ones to watch out for. Totally. I'm, I'm now going like, through yeah. a roster of all of these that I've encountered. Right. right? Uh, are you immediately just picturing the team photo for the water polo team at your high school? <laughs> lacrosse. Yes. Is, that, is that what's happening? Yes. Lacrosse. Yes. Mm-hmm. My high school had both because all of our football players weighed 140 pounds. So. <laughs> <laughs> Although Will Forte went to your he high did. school. <laughs> but he was supposedly one of the good he ones, was, right? He was a water player with a pretty impressive mullet. And if he's not, don't tell me. I want to still like him. Yeah, no, he seems fine. <laughs> he seems fine. Yeah. I mean, I, I will say, too, that, like, as much as there's part of this that I recognize, I grew up on the West Coast, and I feel like there is a particular East Coast thing. Yes. 100%. About this mm-hmm. culture that is to the nth degree from what yeah. I grew up with. And I, I totally understand, because yeah. I saw guys like this when me and some of my West Point friends would come into the city. Like, I saw these guys, mm-hmm. but they were mm-hmm. never an aspiration or a threat. <laughs> I mean, column A, yes, column B, no. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right, all right. Do you have any cons that you wanted to talk about, Matilda? I mean, the Brett Easton Ellis of this can't help but come through. Yeah. Yeah. Some and that part is hard to watch. It is hard to watch a movie where you don't care about anyone except Gene. <laughs> I care very much about Gene. Yeah, never trust a man who gives you sorbet. Yeah. Just saying, <laughs> the girls he run, hires. run. It is an achievement that there are this many unlikable characters, and I was still pretty compelled. Yeah, yeah, and we'll get into. I think part of it is that she was very faithful to the text of the book. 
I think for me, my only real con is maybe the Reese Witherspoon and Samantha Mathis characters. Who's Samantha oh. Mathis? She is the girlfriend who's always on all the psychiatric okay, drugs. Okay, cool. Thank you. Only because I feel like there's no critique there that I could pick yeah. up. And maybe you'll change my mind. I feel like it's a wasted opportunity. And then it just feels kind of weirdly flat. Because I feel like Reese Witherspoon and Samantha Mathis are both really great actors that could do something. Mm-hmm. And we're not really given the opportunity to do much. But I mean, to be honest, I'm nitpicking because I just really like them. Yeah. <laughs> and I got to have a call. <laughs> I will say that when I saw that Reese was in it, because I already said I think Chloe Savini is probably my second favorite performance behind mm-hmm. Bateman. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Or Bateman. Yeah. Uh, Christian Bales. Because in the book, Bateman's girlfriend or fiance or whatever is it almost an interesting kind of side character mm. and i feel like there was a little bit more that reese could have done because she's a great actress and we had seen her play kind of a similar role in election and cruel intentions yeah and so it was it was interesting that she was almost relegated to like cameo almost so i, I do agree with that yeah I mean, I feel like this was before Legally Blonde and she was like, Reese Witherspoon. But she did really kind of have the market cornered on Upper East Side or like East Coast waspy Mm -hmm. overachievers Mm -hmm. (laughs) slash girlfriends. Yeah, she kind of had that lockdown. All right, cool. Any any other cons or anything else you guys want to talk about review wise? I just want to say that even though like I, I found the movie boring, I do think that it is an incredibly interesting film, especially if you've read the book. Mm-hmm. Are you glad you've seen it, even though it wasn't? Oh, one hundred percent. Even though it dragged, one hundred percent. Like, I honestly, I would probably never return to it, but I do think this kind of conversation is perfect. This is a kind of movie I would like to break down and discuss because it has really interesting things. It does. It's just, mm-hmm. it's not an enthralling movie that makes me want to go back and rewatch and rewatch. I will say, adding to the fear is knowing that Patrick Bateman that he is a. A character that is still extremely relevant and uh, occasionally makes it to the highest office in the entire world. Yeah. <laughs> he is named in the movie and quite more often in the book. Yes, he is. All right, great. So overall, generally positive feelings about this. Definitely want to check out. I've never seen her other films and I'm realizing, aside from the Moth Diaries, I'm realizing I really need to watch this Betty Page. And Oh, they're both great. Yeah. They're both great, As, especially because I know you love Lily Taylor. I do. I didn't realize she was in it until I started reading. Oh, these yeah. It's like, really good. What? It's really good. What? <laughs> A Lily Taylor joint I have not seen? <laughs> mm-hmm. I'm sure they're going to try to tell me she's ugly again, which is the greatest lie Hollywood has ever told us. <laughs> they always were like, isn't she homely? I'm like, bitch. <laughs> I, I know. It's like Janine Garofalo being eyes? the ugly in right. the truth about and fat. And, dogs. and, and fat. fat yeah <laughs> oh fuck you hollywood okay <laughs> so listener mail we don't have any this time but if you have some thoughts about this movie or a movie you think we should be watching or you want to tell larry he sounds handsome whatever the case may be <laughs> you can drop us a line at rachel at zombiegirls.com or you can come chat with us over on the zombie girls facebook page or on instagram at zg podcasts or on twitter at zg podcast and if you want to support us and you think, wow, I'd really like to have some more Deadly merch, guess what? You can buy it at 
patreon.com forward slash merch. And if you love us and you want to support us, we do have a Patreon. You can support us at patreon.com forward slash zombie girls. And one of the things that you'll get as a perk is the extended episode. For instance, today, what are we going to be talking about today, guys? Mm-hmm. Yeah. There may be some dramatic readings. I don't know. I don't know. You'll have to. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Blackmail material shall be acquired. So, yeah, they'll get that as well as you can hang out with us on the Discord, which is a lot of fun. Larry's on there. Matilda's on there. I'm on there. There's a really awesome cat named Ernest that shows oh, up a lot. Yeah. There's bow ties. So there's lots of reasons that you want to support us on Patreon. Okay, so that just leaves our plans for the next episode. For those of you who want to play along, we are going to be covering the movie The Invitation, directed by the one and only Karen Kusama. Have you guys seen this movie before? I have not, and I am no, very excited to watch it. Yeah. Oh, y'all should watch it. It's there. It's cool. Yeah, it's been on my list so. forever. And it's Karen yeah. Kusama. So, done deal. And we are going to be joined by a very special guest. We are on a roll, apparently, because we have these lovely special guests this time. Joining us is Elizabeth Kyle, who is the creative producer and frequent guest on the Plug It Up podcast. Yay. You may recall Caitlin was on here recently. We had a lot of fun with her. So, now her co-host will be joining us. And she is also the person who wrote and performed the amazing theme song. That is at the beginning of every Plug oh, It Up I episode, love it. which will get stuck in your mm -hmm. head. <laughs> Singing it right now. Warning you now. <laughs> right? <laughs> she was recently on a guest of Bloody Good Horror for their Fear Street episode, which obviously we did a Fear Street episode as well. So if you would like additional content around that, definitely check that out. She was great. So yeah, definitely come back. Check that out next time. Watch The Invitation. It's going to be a really interesting conversation. You want to talk about different versions of scary masculinity <laughs> there's a character in here that is scary okay cool so i guess plug your stuff again larry one more time if they want more of you in their life where can they get those dulcet tones into their ear holes so if you want to continue listening to me over on the zombie girl network i am now joining rachel on a monthly podcast going through the works of nick cage I don't think we've officially decided, but I think we might be breaking timeline order to review Pig. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. <laughs> Matilda, are you going to be okay? I'm going to be okay. I want you to give okay. Valley Girl the space it deserves. So, yeah. Okay, okay. But yeah, that's a good place. Here's Johnny every Monday, brand new episodes. Sometimes we're streaming on Twitch, but Justin has been working 70 hours a week. Yes. And I am here to start grad school, so... The, the free time are crazy. Is, is less <laughs> available. But yeah, every Monday we have consistent episodes and we're going through an alien season. We've covered so far the War of the so Worlds excited. radio broadcast, Puppet Masters Amazing. from Robert Heinlein, the first Dead Space. And so we're having a lot of fun. Ugh, I'm so excited about this season. You just It's just wall-to-wall -wall bangers. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that's it. Thanks, Rachel. Awesome. Cool. All right. You want to plug anything, Tilly? Sure. If you want to hear more of me being unnecessarily castrated, you can come to <laughs> which is my brand. <laughs> unnecessarily can, or appropriately. You can come to the, zombie, the old school Zombie Girls podcast and listen to us over there. Come hang out with us. 
Awesome. Well, this has been so much fun. I really appreciate you guys, you know, really taking one for the team and watching American Psycho with me. And I think we had a really fun conversation. I had a good time. Oh, yeah. I love. Sorry. I, I think it's more fun when there's different point of views, too. I think it's better. So. Yes, absolutely. And I was super excited, Larry, to talk to you again after our fun, my sweet Audrina and um, Polanski. <laughs> yes. No, I'm serious. <laughs> yeah. I want juicy stuff to talk about. So we had all of that. Definitely. Well, we're about to get Definitely. juicy here in the next five minutes. And I hope we can also be friends <laughs> Ooh, afterwards. Do we really want to use juicy as <laughs> <laughs> Meeting, meeting. Mm, this is... <laughs> it's just getting worse and worse. All right. Thanks, everybody, for joining us. We'll see you on the next episode. Bye, everybody. Bye. Oh, by the way, if you're still here and haven't shut off your podcast yet, even if you're not a patron, you're going to get to hear the first few episodes of the extended episode. So stick around after the music. All right. Also, Larry, I'm stealing Active Feminist and putting it on a t-shirt. Okay. <laughs> Thanks, everybody, for listening. And to my co-host and good friend, Ariel, for always teaching me something new. Production on this episode was done by yours truly and edited by Ariel. Our theme song for the show is More Deadly by DJ Sharp. You guys need to pee or anything before we do the extended episode? No, I say we I'm just okay. crank it out. Power through? Strong bladder Yeah, I catheterized myself before we got on this call, so I'm good. Add a girl. <laughs> so, Take one for the team. So... Rachel, I, I think the best way to start off the extended episode, especially since you have not partaken in this book, is to just mm -hmm. get this out of the way so you can just immediately, because okay. this will explain yep. everything we were hinting at. Yep. Okay. So a little bit of groundwork. Right. He had been talking about this character, Bethany, several times throughout the book leading up to this scene, and he finally got her to come to lunch with him. And he convinced her to come back to their apartment, and... They're sitting there talking. Okay. And here's, here we go. This is Brett Easton Ellis. This is not Larry Bieber. Okay. Okay. Pause. Hey, everybody. Thanks for joining us on the extended episode. Oh, sorry. Ariel, leave it all in. I, 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 I didn't know if we in. just dove right into it. I, I, I'm, I'm unaware. Okay. Sorry. So we can talk about Brett Easton Ellis a little bit, I guess. I don't know anything yes. about him. And I certainly didn't prep anything because I don't want to waste my time. But I do right. know within the last few years, he has become kind of, like, right-wingy. Um, yeah. I, I think I've mentioned that I listened to Ben Shapiro's I podcast. Mean... And I know that he was a special guest for one of his, like, little special interviews. Um, okay. I don't listen to those because I literally listen just to hear what the right says about the news. Um, just so I know what the other side is saying. So I don't know what happened in that interview. Um, mm -hmm. but it was surprising to me to hear someone as quote unquote straight laced as the Ben Shapiro's of the world is having a sit down interview and saying that Brett Easton Ellis is a great political mind when I've read American that Psycho. surprises me. And I want to zero, zero percent, zero percent. <laughs> I'm surprised he's not on there every week. Yeah. That's the part that would, that's the part that shocked Apparently he wrote some like new book, like white lies or white town or something with uh -huh. whites in the title or something. Yep. Again, zero yep. percent. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> and uh, as Matilda would say, there it is. Yeah, and apparently, it's like <laughs> criticism. Of, I, I don't even know. But like I said, I, I the first book I ever read of his was American Psycho, and Devin did read that this and Less Than Zero. Uh huh. Um, and I, I have, I just have literally no interest in ever reading another book by this guy. I just don't. So I'm reading that he was part of something called the Literary Brat Pack. 
right? Because oh. remember, there in the eighties, there was Oof. like the Brat Pack actors Oof. that were basically everybody in Less Than Zero, like Andrew McCarthy and Robert Downey Jr. and Rob Lowe, okay. I think maybe. And um, that sounds like Ground Zero for being talked at. <laughs> <laughs> I know, poor uh, what's in Jamie Gertz, um, or Mary Stuart Masterson. So the literary Brat Pack. Um, they were talking about it's Brett Easton, Alice Tamajanowitz, who I love, uh, Jay McInerney and Jill Eisenstadt, um, who emerged as on the East Coast in the late 1980s. Um, so they were kind of like the new wave of quote unquote minimalist authors. So McInerney wrote Bright Lights, Big City. Okay. Tama Janowitz wrote Slaves of New York, was probably her most famous book. Uh, and Alice is less than zero. Alice is considered thing. a minimalist writer. <laughs> By the way, his book is just called White. Oh, there you go. I knew it had a white in the title, <laughs> Rachel. I, I I knew I remembered that. Like you were a hundred percent correct. J- j- just thinking it was like super on point. Like goddamn, no subtlety, huh? That's all I remember. It's uh-uh. just like okay, okay. Yep. Uh-huh. I would like to um give a big high five to whoever wrote his wikipedia entry that says he is a self-proclaimed satirist oh (laughs) (laughs) roasty toasty yeah